Tree Talks podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Wurundjeri Wurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respect to their elders past and present. We recognize the Aboriginal people's continuous connection to land, sustainability and culture. Sovereignty over this land was never ceded. Welcome to Tree Talks Podcast with your host, me, Mona Brookoff. In this episode, episode 7, we will be listening to Dave Kendall. Find out more soon. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm Dave, Dave Kendall, and um, yeah, I, I think I feel like I'm, I've done quite a few different things. I'm, I'm thinking about you know, what to share with everybody. So I've... Um, Recently moved back to Victoria after being in Tassie for the last five or six years. So I was working at the University of Tasmania in the Geography and Environment Department. And um, yeah, but it's good to be back in Victoria. I've got one foot, I guess, in Western Victoria the, the, with the Grampians and um, or not specifically, but, the, you know, thereabouts and um, another foot in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, it's been really good to be back. I think I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the the landscapes and enjoying the people and um yeah lots of good things going on so yeah i, I guess um I've, I've, i'm kind of i'm still a bit academic i think so even though i'm not working at a university at the moment so i've i've worked um at melbourne uni and i've got a phd in urban ecology and uh, i guess a bit of environmental psychology and and yeah think a fair bit about it yeah i guess people's relationship with nature um a little bit framed by trees i think that's partly because there's a lot of people who are interested in trees and there's a lot of work that goes on around trees but i i think my interests are a bit broader than that and I, my phd was actually more much more focused on shrubs and and other landscape plants and um i feel like i'm kind of getting dragged into this tree world a bit um, but but I've also got a big interest in biodiversity and and conservation. So I've um, yeah had a few roles. I've, I guess professionally, I've, I've got a role at the moment as a member of the Victorian Environmental Assessment Council, and I've been on Australia's Threatened Species Scientific Committee for a few years um, prior to that. And um, yeah, sort of I, I, I feel like I'm very lucky to have had. Uh, the experiences I've had and these sort of different ways of thinking about people and the environment and um, yeah I think that's what I'm 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 trying to achieve is to is to help people you know better better connect I guess people to the environment and and also create landscapes that um, yeah include people in them which um, doesn't always happen so oh wonderful so many questions um how where does Dave's story start where did you grow up and what were your interests as a kid yeah yeah um so I grew up in I guess central western Victoria and a few different places so um but that kind of landscape's always been really important to me so we spent a lot of time I guess family spent a lot of time camping um dad's side of the family were farmers up in southern New South Wales so we used to spend a fair bit of time up on the farm as well so um yeah I guess probably like a lot of people in this world, I, I was lucky to have a fair few experiences um, yeah, in different different environments. And, and that was a really important part of my life uh, for, for you know, while I was growing up. Um, yeah, but I think I was also a bit of a nerd and was, you know, totally into, you know, I guess computers and in pretty early days, I was into music and sort of played in bands and 
yeah, sort of, well, it was all pre-internet, so I, yeah, handy, handy that the internet didn't exist when I was doing some of that stuff. But it, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it was a good life. It was a good life, and travelled a lot, and um, didn't immediately work in invite in the environmental space. So I kind of, you know, did a bunch of different things, but ended up making you know a bit of a career in IT and travelled a lot, and um, yeah, I, I remember this sort of. Yeah, it got to this point where, uh, yeah, I guess my partner was pregnant and I was working a lot and traveling a lot. And I was like, oh, I don't really want this life anymore. I want, you know, what, what am I really passionate about? And it, I was actually thinking at the time of, you know, setting up a nursery or doing something like that. So I went back and studied horticulture. That was, I actually was terrible at uni the first time around. And I was a bit better the, the second time around. And yeah, really got into, you know, horticulture. And I guess, the, the, you know, thinking about, land landscape in a more professional way so how you know, how do plants exist in the landscape and um yeah it was like you got a job as landscape planner got a, ended up doing a phd and got, got a job at the botanic gardens in a research group at the botanic gardens in melbourne and yeah sort of yeah stuck around in academia but i've done a lot of work with councils and um yeah all levels of government and um yeah sort of trying to help people navigate this space which yeah, perhaps was a bit contested going back, you know, 10 years ago. I think there was always a bit of a trade-off or, you know, 20 years ago now. So a bit of a trade-off between the um, environment and other things. So there was kind of a, you know, a, either a luxury or, you know, something that was expendable in projects. But I'm excited where the world's got to at the moment. I feel like, you know, plants and the environment and, you know, people's connection to nature are very central to lots of development projects and lots of, you know, corporations thinking and certainly government thinking. Um, I'm, you know, super excited about the, in, you know, it's really clear in Victoria that uh, the government's starting to take, you know, Indigenous perspectives much more. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, the, the world's really changed, I think, in a poly, policy context. I feel like there's a bit of a zeitgeist about this at the moment. And so it's great to be great to be part of that yeah it's, I feel like the world's caught up with there's a, a lot of us who have, who have thought like that for a long time but maybe a bit more as outsiders whereas now I think that's become quite central with the work that you do do you get to listen out to what the rest of Australia is also doing or is it at this bubble of Victoria yeah so that's a good question and so I would say I've, I've actually worked a lot internationally and um, nationally but I and you know in place based you know place based ways in Victoria. So I worked a lot in Melbourne, city of Melbourne, and the Botanic Gardens. Um, and uh, but I, I actually haven't had much impact. I don't think at a state level in Victoria. So that's something I'm trying to achieve now. So being on VIAC, which hopefully will um, be a way of of doing that a little bit, the Victorian Environmental Assessment Council. So it's it's great to you know have been away and come back and see what see what Victoria is up to and I think clearly it's um, yeah it, it you know compared to lots of places around the world um, it's quite advanced I think that there are lots of um, places around the world that are quite progressive in this space as well um, and Victoria and Melbourne I think should be considered as part of that sort of progressive, um, you know, place. So there's a bit of a, um, I should be careful if other people are going to leave, <laughs> uh, you know, listen to this, but I think that cities perhaps have opportunities. So a place like Melbourne has an opportunity to be progressive in ways that it's much more difficult for national governments um, to be. So 
the national government. I, you know, well, let's see what happens in the next few years, but it just hasn't been progressive about environmental issues for uh, for quite a while. But that's also true of lots of other national governments, and there's reasons for that. So, um, yeah, I think it's great to see, you know, either the state of Victoria or um, you know, cities like Melbourne taking advantage of the opportunities they have to be progressive. And there's, you know, heaps of great people working in a whole range of different roles that are, are not, you know, allowing that to happen. So it's good. Any top countries that you kind of keep your eye on or listen to what they're doing that you, uh, inspire you or think that they're doing um, a really good job? So, I mean, there, there is a lot of, you know, well-known, um, you know, things that are happening in Barcelona and yeah, yeah, Bogota and New York and Paris and Stockholm. But for me, that 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 world is very much about personal relationships. So I'm really lucky. I've got some really good relationships with people in Berlin and and other you know, Munich in Germany and in Stockholm and um, yeah, New York and a couple other places in the US. So for me, it's about more about the people. And often those people actually work across quite diverse. Um, you know, geographic areas too. So, you know, that's one of the luxuries I think about having been, you know, been connected to academia or working in academia is you're not necessarily tied to jurisdictions the same way that people working in government are. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah, I think there's lots of good examples, of, but, I, but I do think that, you know, Melbourne and, you know, Sydney as well are, are, are global cities and, you know, definitely part of those conversations. Yeah. Um, one thing you talked about was environmental psychology. I don't think I fully understand what that is and would love for you if you wouldn't mind explaining a bit of what that entails. Yeah, so I was lucky that one of my PhD supervisors and actually master's supervisors before that was an environmental psychologist. So that's not really my tr training. I'm not, yeah, not sure. I'm, um, I'm not a classic um, kind of, yeah, academic in that sense I haven't got a deep and long singular path that I've been following so just to make that clear I'm, I'm not really I don't really identify as an environmental psychologist but so environmental psychology is very much focused in um, the role of the natural environment in the way people think about things um, so psychology is very in interested in the individuals and the way that they think um, there's a few different approaches within that. So there's uh, there's people who are very interested in the way people think about conservation. So kind of conservation psychology, what what leads people to you know, have particular, um, you know, so, so often thinking is broken up into particular kinds of concepts. So beliefs or values or attitudes or preferences. So people have these um, different thoughts about the world around them. And in conservation psychology, often they're very interested in what the conservation outcomes of those thoughts are. So they, so we realise that what people think is actually pretty important um, in, you know, what in shaping conservation outcomes around the world. So we can't just be hostile and say people are bad. We've got to understand how, how, you know, what shapes the, um, you know, what the way people think and and in psychology, there's there's a sort of a strong argument that that it, that is fairly connected to people's behaviours as well. Um, other other actual disciplines disagree with that a little bit and say people say all this stuff and think all these things and then behave in very contradictory ways. So you can't really understand the world by understanding what people think. You're, you're better off watching what people do and and um, yeah, thinking about 
yes, human dimensions of environmental issues in a different way. Um, so environmental psychology also is interested in, um, it, this has perhaps become a little bit out of date, but there was quite a lot of interest in, in evolutionary psychology. So how humans evolved and the landscapes that they involved in, uh, which was the sort of savannah landscapes of Africa. And that's led to particular preferences that people have for trees, for example, so that people like spreading, you know, trees that are reminiscent of these, uh, you know, landscapes that humans involve, evolved in hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, but th that's also criticised a fair bit too. I, I wouldn't really hang my hat on, on that way of thinking. Although in one, yeah, one piece of work we did, we were looking at preference for uh, veg uh, leaf colour, really, a few other things, but leaf colour. And we were kind of exploring that idea that maybe people like um, green leaf plants because of it's an evolutionary adaptation to, you know, it's a sign of high fertility and um, high water availability. So the big green leaves are therefore a preferred trait. But yeah, like I, like I said, I wouldn't really hang my hat on that explanation, but they're interesting things to to read about and think about. I think this is really interesting because for me, the reason why I became interested in this industry was I didn't want to deal with people. I just wanted to be out in nature and be with the trees. But actually throughout the years, I realized that um, it's essential to to engage with people. It's very much about education. And if we don't educate ourselves and the community, there's a lot of things that we, a lot of practices that go on that it's probably not the best. And yeah. so it's the connection with people that's really important. I would actually frame that a little differently. I would say, um, or at least in my perspective, I would say I don't really have the right to tell people how to think. Um, so, yeah, I, under, I understand that a lot of people are interested in helping people do the right thing or um, you know, educate them so they know more and can make better decisions. But there's this sort of big normative underlying thing there that people are doing the wrong thing and, and people aren't thinking the right way. So um, I'm, which is fine, but personally, I'm actually much more interested in trying to understand what people think, you know, like, so, so not whether it's right or wrong, but what are they genuinely, what do they think? And I think if you have more open conversations, so you don't start out saying you're doing the wrong thing, you, you start out by saying, oh, you know, what do you think about trees? then it, it, you end up with these really interesting and rich um, conversations that like all of that, I do a lot of work, community engagement work and um, just talking to people, you know, genuinely and listening and giving them an opportunity to say things. So often we use structured kind of processes that allow people to, you know, to say what they, they really think or what they feel about things. Um, you, you learn a lot. I, I think we should be very open to what people um, you know what people think people people in general I think have got um, quite positive and and complex sort of you know relationship with the environment and there's actually heaps there to work with I think so rather than rather than thinking we need to educate people I think we we kind of need to educate ourselves a little bit about the the sort of rich and diverse ways that people think about the environment right now currently where you, what is your passion what is your kind of drive yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's interesting. I'm obviously in a bit of a a point of transition, so I've um yeah moved and uh yeah 
yeah, trying to work out where I'm going to live, which is no easy feat just at the moment, I have to say. I hope uh, that if that situation improves in Australia a bit. Um, but yeah, I think, I, so in, yeah, in some ways I would say that all this stuff that we've just talked about, you know, being genuine about working with the community and, um, yeah, this sort of policy zeitgeist that's happening at the moment with, you know, po yeah, nature positive and nature-based solutions and other things like that for, you know, whether you think they're good or bad things, that's a, you know, quite a different sort of policy landscape that we're in now. So I kind of see that my role is, it, it's it's actually not really to be an advocate, like a lot of people in this space. So I'm not out there going, oh, we need this or we need that, or um, it, isn't it terrible that people are doing this or doing that? I'm, I'm actually just really interested in um, helping government or, or business or whatever it is, land, land managers, um, you know, better understand the community. Like, to, so to help, help everybody get better at doing the things that they're trying to do anyway anyway so um yeah so maybe that's uh sounds a bit lame but it, um also yeah i just feel like i'm just really lucky to have had these you know interesting exp life experiences and be able to to work with people um which is you know really you know the center of what i do so professionals but also the community and um you know just getting people yeah working together making good decisions and it all sounds a bit gentle and may, maybe I'm not, not in my punk phase anymore. Maybe I'm getting a bit more genteel. So, <laughs> yeah. One thing I'd like to know from you is if you could be a voice for the trees, what, what would you say for them or think, uh, what would they, do you think that they would say to us? Yeah. Well, I think I'm actually genuinely interested in in conversation. So I would, so being a voice for the trees, I think I would actually just make sure that their trees have got ears as well, and um, so that there's this sort of listening going on on both sides, and and yeah, res respectful kind of communication. I feel like the the yeah, the trees have, have obviously got a an enormous amount of um, you know life experience. I think so to to you know talk to us and their yeah perspective on time and you know change environmental change and things would be it'd be great to be part of that conversation so I, I wouldn't profess to be able to speak for the trees but if we could make that happen but make it a, a conversation with listening at, at both sides I think that would be awesome have any projects on at the moment that you would like to share with anybody um anything you want to plug uh so this, I've still got a few um, sort of academic connections, which have been really exciting, I think. So I'm part of um, some urban climate change research and I'm part of some you know, nature-based solutions kind of stuff. Um, and I'm part of uh, some academic work looking at, at um, plant traits. So tree, tree traits, actually, uh, mostly, but plant traits more generally and, uh, and trying to understand how humans interact with plants um, through those traits. So traits are widely used in ecology and, and ecophysiology to understand, you know, trees or plants. Whereas I think that I, I see that as much more relational. So there's a whole lot of stuff that's, um, you know, traits of trees like leaf colour we were talking about earlier that aren't very important ecologically, but are really important in the relationship with people. So I'm excited to do it. I'm feeling a bit guilty because I'm overdue doing some work on that space, but I'm meeting up with people in Portland in the US in a couple of weeks. So that's a bit of a deadline to make me do a bit more work on that. Um, and I'm also 
doing well, probably the two other things are um, I've had a sort of long and ongoing relationship with the city of Melbourne's um, urban forest community engagement um, project and that's been really great so we've finished a few workshops there and got some more um, hopefully um, starting next year and at the moment we're talking about um, engaging engaging with traditional owners and running some workshops um, so I just think that there's some opportunities there I'm kind of you know we're trying to have some conversations about how to elevate some of this to the next level and I'm, I'm kind of genuinely interested in thinking about how we can empower the community more to um, you know make decisions and manage so can we not just engage or educate or you know listen to what the community thinks important to write a plan but can we actually you know devolve decision making and power to the community in one mm -hmm. way and that's certainly happening with traditional owners in in different kind of landscapes so I think there'll be some hopefully you know something exciting coming out of that uh, I just and the one other thing is um coming back to Melbourne I, I feel like there's a little bit of a um, not a vacuum, but I'm, I'm, I just feel like we maybe it's a bit of a COVID effect too, where we haven't talked to each other a lot. So we're starting a little um, group called the Melbourne Nature Network and trying to get together once every two or three months and talk about projects and maybe go out to the pub afterwards and you know do some nice things like that. So I'm excited about that as well. Um. I thought it was interesting as well, getting the community involved and in things. For me, what I find interesting is that people drive to parks, national parks, to be into nature and things. Yeah. But there's never this thing of actually we could have that right here. There's that nature and uniqueness within urban forestry. Do, do you go into that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, uh, for sure. And I think so uh, there's interest in creating national park cities. Um, so I think London's one of those. I was in London a little while ago. And um, I think I'm excited about those opportunities in Melbourne. For a while, people have been talking about, you know, trying to create, um, you know, rather than having an urban forest in a city, trying to create a, a city that's in a forest, you know, let's let's think about that a little differently. So I think, um, you know, the idea of a national park, a, a city national park is related to that too. But I, so I would, so I think that sort of everyday nature experience is critical. And I, I think I'm super interested in that. There was actually some work we did with the Botanic Gardens trying to understand everyday experience of people who actually aren't that interested in nature. So we did a little sort of, you know, recruited people using a yeah a, a way you know trying to make sure that they weren't too too green too keen and they were saying actually that all of the great work that councils are doing in urban greening like they actually weren't that worried about climate change or environmental change because their local streets and parks were so great they were green had awesome trees lots of you know they they really thought everything was going well um so yeah i th i think um so the the the, that everyday thing is important, but what places we do have to travel to, or um, yeah, national parks or, or places that are away, are distant and away, it's there's an opportunity I think to have a really meaningful experience so that people can engage, you know, see things that they are, are more memorable um, that they wouldn't see in their everyday life, um, and have experiences and the time to reflect on those experiences that can be kind of transformational too. So I think both of those things need to work together, that we need awesome, you know, local environments and we need people to, you know, be able to, you know, care for the environments around them and experience the environment. But we also need, um, you know, to have, give people opportunities to have really 
awesome, meaningful experiences as well. When I listen to you talk, I is for me, I'm like, don't you think this is overwhelming? Like you want to, you know, we've created these cities and things with all this concrete and grids and and you're like, how that vision that you talk about is like, yeah, that's wonderful, but the, there's a big, it's not going to happen overnight, basically. So how do you, how do you keep that passion and that drive going, knowing that it potentially is going to take maybe a bit of time or? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm probably less focused on the that bigger destination, but I am focused on all the little things that we can do. And it's, there's heaps and, and, you know, there's amazing things going on. Um, other other more conservation focused work we've done was looking at at small you know native grassland reserves in Western Melbourne. So there's all these little tiny you know one hectare or less than one hectare reserves, and they they've got all these really important rare and threatened species. The community not always, but the community can be really passionate and engaged with these um, things. So that so I'm sure that there are big picture conservation scientists to say whatever you know that's just not the big picture that's you know if if that's if that's what we're worried about when we're going to fail but because all of these things are happening um a lot in cities all around the world there's all these little you know positive movements that are happening everywhere and i'm you know excited about that so yeah i think it is good to have um bigger pictures and and you know visions but I also, I think I'm maybe unlike other people, I'm quite trusting of the community too. So I feel like if we do have these conversations and allow the community to participate more, then actually that will, that's a good path to be on, I think. So I trust that, yeah, yeah this, the system maybe doesn't always lead to really good outcomes happening everywhere all the time. But if we make it a bit more human-centred and yeah, maybe that's sort of breaking down some of the, you know, the, the separation of people from nature, I think we'll end up with good outcomes. Is there anything that you wanted to say that you haven't been able to say or um, expand on? Well, I'm, I'm mostly kind of, like I said, sort of not really trying to tell everyone what to do, but more interested in listening and, and having conversations about how to take the next step or do things. But one thing I've been thinking about a bit lately, and I'm not 100% sure how this is going to go, is... Um, I feel that in conservation or uh, that there's this been a reluctance to um, to to be clear about what we're trying to achieve. So it's easy in conservation to say we just need to create a national park and not really do much and we'll save species. But in a changing world, so you know changing environmentally but but also changing socially, I think we need to be clear about what we're trying to achieve um, through the things that we do. So we need to get, so my one message is probably um, to, to tell people to be more confident about making decisions about how they want the world to be. And I think there's a lot we can learn from, you know, traditional owners and, you know, First Nations people around the world who, who don't, you know, have that hands-off approach that they actually do have, you know, clear ideas about what they want to achieve with the way that they, you know, look after the environment. So if, yeah, if we could um, yeah, be more comfortable, probably, um, you know, having clearer ideas about what we're trying to achieve. And obviously the, the flip side of that is having confidence that we know how to do it as well. So we need more expertise and training. And, you know, I'm a little sad that 
things like horticulture are not, um, you know, treated more seriously in society. I think that we need the skills to be able to look after, and not not the horticulture is the whole picture, but there's all these um, things that have perhaps been de devalued a little bit in society. So, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking to it. If people wanted to um, learn more about your work or find out more about what you're up to, where would they go for that kind of stuff? Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a. I've, I actually have put a bit of effort into this. I've got a, a new business and a website. So it's futurenature.au, um, and the business is called Future in Nature. But I'm, I think I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. Just Kendall with one L is is the only thing. But there's not too many of us with one L. Um, but yeah, there's a heap of stuff on my website, and um, yeah, I, I try to get out and talk to people. So hopefully, be doing the rounds a bit and speaking to lots of different people in in different ways over the next year or two for sure. The Melbourne Network is open for anybody. Yeah, and um, we've we've kind of just we haven't put a huge amount of effort into you know recruiting and publicising it, but I'm just starting to do that a little bit. So there'll be stuff if you look me up on LinkedIn. I'm just creating a page for that and. Um, yeah, open this. You can subscribe to mailing lists and we're hopefully um, it's not like a top down thing. Hopefully we're sharing it around and there'll be people volunteering to host events and you know, talk about projects and things like that. But it's been good so far. So I'm pretty confident that should work out. So Yeah. So and it's not just you. If anybody would like to help you, is there chance spaces and things that people could give their time or um, knowledge to help? Yeah. And to be, we want it to be really collaborative. So it's an opportunity really for people to share stories. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of great projects going on that um, not everybody knows about. So the more that we can hear other people's positive stories, I think it helps us, helps us all. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot going on. Um, I've been really excited to have you on the podcast to listen more about you and, um, yeah share share what you do out there with others yeah no thanks Mona it's been good I always enjoy having these kind of chats so that was fun thanks it's all right thank you for listening to this episode of tree talks podcast with me Mona Brookoff 